Uh, my name is uh, Joe Mueller. I'm one of the other pastors and elders here. David is uh, the third. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Colossians. We're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter, chapter 3. Um, I'm, I am super excited to have uh, families whole families uh, worshiping together today. Uh, this is what we do in our homes day in and day out in the week. And as we come together, uh, we are worshiping together as a, the larger family of God. And that's a, a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but it will be louder than we're probably used to. Um, and that's okay, uh, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus loves the little ones and he wants them to come to him. And so uh, let, us, let us bear with it, uh, with patience. Let us be kind in our hearts um, and not get distracted because it, it'll be distracting and, and that'll be me too. So, um, but w- with that, let's turn our attention uh, to Colossians 3. Uh, we're in verse 12 uh, and I'll read 12 through 17. So if you are able, would you please stand with me for the honoring of God's word? So this is, uh, this is God's word from Colossians 3. Uh, Put on, then, as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we need your spirit at work in us uh, to make active these words that we read and the truths that we uncover from your scripture and apply them to our hearts. Um, show us areas where we need to grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, convict us of our sins, uh, but also comfort us with the goodness of Christ with his mercy and his love and all that he is to us. Uh, Use this time, Lord, for your purpose and accomplish what you will. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So consider with me for a second uh, how you got dressed this morning. Um, How did you pick out what to wear? What did you consider about your clothing as you put it on your body? Did you think about how comfortable you would be in what you wore or how you might look or how your own clothes make you feel personally? Did you pick out what was easiest to find, which is often what I do? Um, Or did you take time to consider the pieces you have to seek out something specific? You made a a, a conscious choice from your wardrobe. And and this might be for more for the kids, um, but how much time did you have to think about how to put on your clothes? Uh, 
I have some little ones, and uh, my toddlers, or when they're babies, right, I have trouble finding out how to put on their their clothes. Uh, So I understand that I'm far removed from that now, but it's got to be difficult to figure out how to put on certain pieces, like a dress or um, shoes that lace up crazy. Um, Sometimes it takes time, it takes effort, it takes thought. And I've brought our minds to this idea of, of putting on because that's what our text is about. It's about how do we adorn ourselves, not with clothes, but with Christ. How do we put on Christ? Because uh, in verse 12, how our text starts, it says, put on then. And, and this is the language of getting dressed. It's the language of clothing yourself. It's the language of, of putting on garments. And, and in our text today, this isn't the first time in Colossians that Paul has used similar language. In fact, just a few verses up, uh, he uses the language of, of undressing and dressing to talk about how a Christian is to put off their former manner of sinful living, i.e. how they are to repent. If you look back up to, to verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore. Uh, therefore here is at least in part referring back to Colossians 3, 1 through 4, where I'd submit that this summary of, of those verses. It says, uh, when, when all who have been raised in Christ in your baptism with Christ in his resurrection should seek the things of Christ in the place of Christ uh, because your life is hidden in Christ who will appear in his glory. So Christ is the focus and, and the main idea is that you are hidden. Your life is Christ's life. So Paul is saying, again in, in, in verse five here, because your life is in Christ, put to death what is earthly in you, continuing in, in verse five, which is sexual immorality, uh, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once formerly walked. He's, he's talking to the church, right? You all once formerly walked in these when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Put away anger, wrath, malice. So the idea is like you imagine anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, right? All these are like garments that people are wearing and walking around in. They are, they're putting on display uh, something for the world to see. Do not lie to one another, verse 9 continues. And Paul is saying, take all those, take all those clothes off. Um, he's outlined a bunch of sins. He's outlined a bunch of errors. He's shown us unloving attitudes and behaviors in this list. And he's calling us to put them to death and to abandon them. This is kind of like the image, like you take off your clothes. Have, have any of you like really gotten your clothes stanky? Just like nasty working in the yard uh, or working among animals. You've got uh, maybe some... some uh, gross stuff on you or, right? What do you do with those clothes? You don't, you don't take them off to put them on again later, right? You take them off and you burn them, right? Or you just throw them straight in the trash. You don't want anything to do with those clothes again. And this is a type of, of metaphor language that Paul is using here. He's, he says, continuing in, in verse nine, seeing that you have put off, right? This put off, he's saying undress or disrobe, <clears throat> or strip off this clothing. So put off the old self with its practices and have put on, right, or dress or put on like clothing, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
So here, uh, verse 11, here there is not Jew and Greek, or Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So hone in on this phrase, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's verse 10. The idea here is that the new you, the you that you are to put on after you take off those nasty garments, is being renewed after the image of your creator, the one who created you. And Colossians 1.16 tells us who that is. That's Jesus. So Colossians 1.16, for by him, and the him here is, is referring back to verse 15, uh, who is the image of the invisible God, right? Him, and, and that image of the invisible God is, is referring back to verse 13, who is the beloved son, who we know is Jesus. So for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So this first time Paul is using this language of putting on and putting off clothes, he's using it to describe the Christian life. And it's simply this, right? Put on Christ. What is the Christian life? The Christian life is putting on Christ. And if you are looking for the, uh, the simplest definition of, of what it means to be a Christian, you are a person who day in and day out, through all your life, you're taking off your, your wicked garments and you're putting on in its place Christ. And so, just like we all did with our clothes this morning, I, I aim for us to consider who we are putting on, that we might see him in all his invisible God displaying glory. And we might apply this scene to how we live our lives after the pattern we have in our Lord, our God, and our King, Jesus Christ. So we'll use uh, a twofold lens as we walk through the next uh, few verses here. The, the first lens is what does this text teach us about Christ? Because he is precious to us and we want to see him and behold him as he truly is. And the second is how do we then put it on? How do we wear that, uh, what we see in Christ like a garment? So the, our first point is this, right? Put on the identity of Christ. Put on the identity of Christ. So put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how verse 12 begins. Did you know that if you are in Christ, you are called chosen, you are called holy, and you are called beloved, because Christ is called those things. Christ is chosen. He's elect. That's another way that, that English translates this word chosen. We find this in many places in the old and the New Testaments, but one place is, is Peter, 1 Peter 2. And here we read, yeah, starting in verse 1 of 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So again, we have this, this list of the old self that we are putting off, right? We're supposed to put them away. Then it says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen or elect and precious. Jesus is precious. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen or elect and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is the elect one, the great elect one, and all who believe on him, believe in him will not be put to shame, but we will instead share in his election. Jesus is also the holy one, right? He, uh, he is the holy one. He's, he's chosen and holy from uh, Colossians. In the book of Acts, in, in Acts 3, Peter and John are going to the, the temple. They're walking up to the temple and Peter heals a lame beggar who's just sitting there and he doesn't have gold, so he heals him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And, and as, as he's walking, most of us drove to church, but some of us could have walked, maybe, if we started really early and walked here. And imagine that you're walking, and then all of a sudden uh, there's someone and you heal them. And imagine that everybody walks everywhere, because no one has cars, and everybody sees this, and now a huge crowd starts forming. And this is, this is what... Uh, Peter says, he proclaims the gospel and he drops this little gem about Jesus' holiness. So uh, it's Acts 3, uh, starting in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. So he's just talking to like the random crowd who's, who's joining him when he had dis- decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. So the apostles knew that Jesus was holy, and, and they defined him as such. But uh, Peter continues, L- listen to how he gets to the gospel. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as, you, as, also, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So Jesus is the Holy One who, if you will repent and believe in his name, he will blot out all of your sins and he will give you a place in his kingdom where all things will be restored as the prophets of long ago foretold. And Jesus is also beloved. The Gospels record two times the Father audibly and indelibly testifies to the beloved nature of his Son. The first is in his baptism. It's Mark 1, 11, right? Jesus gets, he gets dunked under the water completely. They were good Baptists. Um, and then he gets raised up, um, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The, the second is at the, the transfiguration. 
which is Mark 9, 7. He goes up on a mountain with some of his, his buddies and they fall asleep and then they wake up and, and there's Jesus transformed in glory. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Notice that that his status of, of beloved is tied to his personal name of son. Beloved son is who Jesus is. It's, it's beloved is part of his very identity. And all three of these, chosen, holy, beloved, they are central to the identity of Jesus. They, they mark him out as who he is among this world. He is chosen. He is holy. He is beloved. Jesus is the, is the beloved of the Father, and all who listen to Jesus will hear the same words of love spoken over them. You will hear God say to you, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus is the chosen of God. Jesus is holy, and Jesus is beloved. And so how do you put these on? How do you put on the identity of Jesus? How do you wear this like a garment? The only way to put these on, as the Father commanded on the Mount of Transfiguration, is to listen to Jesus. Jesus says in Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So as you hear this message once again, that if you will turn from your sins and believe that Jesus, that what Jesus has done Right by being born as a man to the Virgin Mary, by, by living a life of sinless perfection and fulfilling all the righteous requirements of the law, by dying an undeserved death as a sinner so that people like you and me could die to sin and live to righteousness, and by rising again from the dead so that you and I might be raised with him to newness of life and to spend eternity with him forever. If you will believe that he did all of this and that he did it for you, then you too can share in his identity as a chosen and holy and beloved of God. This is how you put on Jesus' identity. You repent of your sins and you believe in his name. And so now, now we move on to the second section of our text, the, the second half of, of this verse, and then 13 and 14. This one is about putting on the character of Christ. So we've established his identity as, as holy and as chosen of God and as beloved. And so now his character gets described to us. And, and this is a description of Jesus' character. It's, it's clear from two things. Uh, the first is the, the simile that Paul uses when exhorting us to forgive. You see that in verse 13, where it says, um, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As God is a forgiver, right, Jesus is this, this extension of forgiveness to the world. As God is a forgiver, you too must be a forgiver. You too must be a forgiver. And this is a straight line connecting Paul's exhortation to the character of Christ. Look at the forgiveness of God and be like that, is what Paul is saying. But a, a brief survey of the New Testament unlocks many texts assigning the qualities that we see in this list to Jesus. Jesus is described first as compassionate, no fewer than four times in the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew 14, 14, it says, when he went ashore, this is Matthew 14, 14, he saw the crowd, a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed 
they're sick. Jesus is compassionate. He sees the crowd. He has compassion, and then he acts in response to his compassion by healing the sick. The compassion of Jesus leads Jesus to action on behalf of those whom he has compassion on. And Paul is saying to us to act like this. Jesus is also kind. In fact, Titus 3, 4 describes him as the appearance. He is the manifestation. He is the, the light shining of God's kindness. It's like a spotlight uh, from heaven is shining on Jesus. And above his head, a neon letter says, kindness. Right? That's, that's kind of what's going on in the language here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, right? Jesus is that bright spotlight with his human body, right? And above his head sh shouts kindness. Ephesians 2, 7 speaks to the special revelation of God's kindness found in Christ. Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming ages, we might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness, toward us in Christ Jesus. We will spend for all of the coming ages thinking and meditating and pondering the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is also humble. That's Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Uh, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus is the who here, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Jesus is also meek, and he claims this when, when he talks about who he is in his core, right? Uh, when he defines his ministry himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or, or meek. English, other English translations translate this word as meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Meek and lowly is who Jesus is. Jesus is also patient, and a beautiful place his patience is demonstrated to us is in Matthew 12. And, and let me kind of set up the context here of this passage, uh, starting in verse 9 of Matthew 12. Uh, so, so Jesus has this ministry in synagogues, right? He, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. He's a, it's a Sabbath day. Um, and a man was there, verse 10, whose hand was withered. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him, right? They're set, the Pharisees, uh, the, the rulers of the synagogue, they're trying to set a trap for Jesus because uh, they want to accuse him. They want to condemn him. They want to kill him. Verse 11, he said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So Jesus has proclaimed truth to the Jews and did good. He healed. 
and people were in a murderous rage about it. Um, I get upset when I do something nice and nobody notices, <laughs> right? Jesus does a great work of healing and they want to murder him for it. And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known, right? He keeps persisting in doing good. And why is this recorded for us? It's to show us the person Jesus is. Because verse 17 continues, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant who I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The chosen one of God will not bruise a reed or will not a bruised reed break or a smoldering wick quench. He will not take what is fragile and on the brink of destruction and he will not snuff it out. He is patient. He is kind. He is gentle, and he is patient, and he will be patient with you. And this, this patience, this forbearing, this, this gentleness of Christ ties into our next characteristic of Jesus, for he is bearing and forgiving. He bears with us in our difficulties to obey him. And when we fail, either by not doing the good that he commands or by doing the evil that he forbids, he forgives us freely and without restraint. He holds no wrongs against us. And not only that, he turns all things together for our good. And that good is our salvation. So even in our faults and our failures, our sins and our sufferings, God is at work in us to bring about our salvation. And nothing will thwart his work among his people. And finally, Jesus is love. Listen to how Paul describes the work of Christ in, in Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the godly. This is Romans 5, 6 through 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This example of love was also what Jesus taught in his earthly ministry. Listen to the words of our king from Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is kind. Jesus is humble. Jesus is meek. Jesus is patient. Jesus is forgiving, and Jesus is love. These are the character of our Christ. So how do you put these things on? If these are the garments that are supposed to adorn our lives, how do we get them on? How do we follow our Savior in gratitude and thanksgiving for all he has done for us by putting on his character and putting it on display like clothing? How do we, as the Great Commission we read every Sunday says, observe everything he commanded and make him known to the world around us through the good works of living out the character of Christ. How do we put on Christ? To start, we, we must remember how we put on the identity of Christ from our first point. We, we repent and we believe the gospel. Without this, all of our efforts to live according to the character of Christ are merely lipstick on a pig. It's an old saying that basically means a pig doesn't wear lipstick and they look funny in it. And it doesn't help them one bit, right? They're still a pig. Without the Holy Spirit who indwells us as a pledge and an empowerment to achieve the end promised by Christ, we will never be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Never. So the very first thing we need to put on the character of Christ is the Spirit of Christ, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling in us and working on our behalf to achieve the character of Christ within us. And we receive him through faith in the only begotten Son of God, who is Jesus, our Christ. The, the second way, so believe the gospel, right? Believe the gospel and receive Christ by faith. The, the second way we put on Christ is through the continued exercise of faith in the working of repentance in our life. We become people who repent. And, and this is what I mean, and, and we're wrapping up here. Um, is that you take a passage like Philippians 2, 5 through 8, or, or 2, 3 through 8, which, which I use to support my claim that Jesus was humble, and you look at that passage, and you see in it the image of the invisible God made visible. You stare into who Christ is, and you look and see how humble Jesus is to take on flesh, and for the creator to become creation. Right? You look at that, and you see that for God to take on flesh. What, what must that have been like? you sit and you ponder the wonder of the incarnation and how that act literally changed your life for all of eternity. And you think about that and you, and you let it soak into your soul. And then, then you say to your soul, Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That's what Jesus did. And so, so, so you look at that and you say that to your soul and then you say, in what ways do I look out only for my own interests? These are the things that I need to stop doing. How do I look out for my own interests? And take time to reflect on this. In your relationship with your family, with, with your mother, your father, your siblings, your, your spouse, your children. Are there any places where you're looking out for just numero uno? So th this is a, a practical example. Um, <clears throat> that I thought up, it, it may be terrible, uh, but imagine that a dearly loved one is in grave error. You, you really love this person and they're, they're making a mistake. 
they are making choices in, in how they live their life that put them at risk, right? They're, um, uh, they're either physically, emotionally, or spiritually doing something that is going to damage them, uh, their person. But you don't say anything, right, because you're concerned about how you might come across to them. You're thinking about, what, they th- what will they think about me if I say something? Or you're concerned that, that a peace will be disturbed in your relationship and you don't want to give up that peace that you have with that person. And do you notice here, like the reason, you have to examine, you can only examine your own heart. No one else can do that for you. The Holy Spirit with you examines your own heart. He knows your heart. He'll reveal that to you. But in this example, uh, do you notice how the main concern in this situation is not the objective good of the other? You're not taking up their concern. Their concern is not to be damaged physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And so by keeping silent, right, you are not uh, taking up the objective good of the other, but your own subjective good, your own feeling of what's best for you in the situation. And this attitude uh, needs to be turned from. This is what you need to be put off. And it's a looking out for your own interests. But what do you need to turn to? And so if we are to follow the commands of Christ, I would say that it is very likely in most circumstances that the right thing to do in this situation is to lovingly, patiently, kindly, firmly, and persistently warn and call this person to a different way. That's kind of, that, that would what I think the, the law demands from our way of living. You might not always know what to say or the right way to say it or, uh, or uh, how to approach it or when to approach it, but God will be with you and he will teach you and correct you even as you stumble and fumble your way through it. You may need to apologize for the first way that you bring it up because you made a mistake. But through this process of repentance, through this examination through the Holy Spirit, um, you will improve, right? God will be with you to work uh, and, and work this character of Christ in you. So not only do we look at what we need to stop doing, we must also look at what, needs to, what we need to start doing. And, and we ask, what are the interests of others that I can be looking out for? So that's one example of putting on Christ's humility, and it's the pattern of true repentance, right? You're looking at things, you're examining things, you're understanding what God is saying to your heart. Where not only do we recognize and hate our sins in this process of repentance, but we work at our salvation in this way through, with fear and trembling, working hard to be who we are uh, saved to be. We're putting on Christ and it takes effort. We're like those little children. We're like the infants trying to put on our own onesie, right? That's hard, right? We'll struggle, we'll squirm, uh, but through the Spirit, he'll get it on us, right? He'll get it on us and we will, we will look like Christ even in our uh, infancy. But what about his forgiveness? This is a, another one. Our text tells us that we are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Do I forgive like God forgives? Or do I hold grudges and bitterness against others in my heart? Do I love my enemies like God loves me? Do I bless those who curse me? Do I lend and never expect a penny back? If I'm struck on the cheek, do I offer the other also, or do I lash out in response? Do I give to everyone who begs? Of all the characteristics of Christ, where is the place this morning that the Spirit is poking and prodding you? What relationship is he calling you to mend? 
What attitude or behavior is he whispering to you to put off? How is he moving you toward a life that exalts Christ through putting on the character of Christ? The work of repentance is not an easy task. But for those in Christ, it is a fruitful one. It is a fruitful one. And day by day, we are putting on Christ and being renewed after the image of our creator. And how glorious to share with Christ all that he has to give us. For to me, to live is Christ. And our text today tells us a little bit about what that phrase means from Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ. Our text paints a picture of the Christian life that is both a call to live like Christ and a declaration of Christ's character. It is both an expression of how Jesus was the image of the invisible God and an exhortation to us, the church, to bear the image of the invisible God in the likeness of Christ. It is a call to wear the garments Christ has bought for us and a reminder of the Christ who bought them for us. And so let's end in prayer. Father, we ask that you would bless us with faith and repentance. Grant to us, Lord, that that we may turn from the sins that you have revealed to us today. You are gracious and patient with us, and you will work in us to make us more like Jesus. So God, grant to us obedience to your call. Grant us joy in the obedience that we may honor you with our swift and quick uh, obedience to all that you have commanded. God, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful uh, that you have revealed to us your son. The incarnation is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And without it, we are lost. And so God, thank you for sending your son uh, as a baby to be born of a woman, of the Virgin Mary. Thank you for his life of perfection. Fill us, Lord, with your love and grant us your spirit that we may obey you in all that you have commanded us to do. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.